0: Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right, well, the well-known Christian singer Amy Grant... (coughs) She recently hosted a lesbian wedding at her home, her ranch there, for a family member. And her public words were this, quote, Jesus, you just narrowed it down to two things, love God and love each other. Now, um, maybe somebody could just go ahead and close the back door. Yeah, thank you. We got, we got lights on. so. Franklin Graham uh, made, gave a response, a very wise response. Here's what he said, quote, For me, loving others also means caring about their souls and where they will spend eternity. It means loving people enough to tell them the truth from the word of God. The authority of God's word is something we can never compromise on. Amen. Now, here you have two well-known Christians looking at God's moral law differently the question in this case is is it biblical that God calls uh, is it biblical to call homosexuality a sin or really we could now extend that is premarital sex is that a sin or lying is that a sin or stealing is that a sin does God's love trump all of God's moral laws. Uh, if we can just love people, then it doesn't matter what we do. You hear some people talk about God's law, and it, like it doesn't apply to Christians. It doesn't apply to New Testament Christians. Even some Bible preachers and teachers will literally say that. So does that mean if someone says, hey, you're a Christian, then we're supposed to say, well, God's moral law doesn't apply. All your sins are forgiven. Everything's good. Whatever you do, you do. Um, the issue of the moral law, and that's kind of what we're talking about here, kind of two different, the Franklin Graham view or the Amy Grant view. The, the issue of the moral law is a very important issue, and what we believe on that has huge implications for our life and the decisions that we make every single day. The issue was important to Paul also, and especially coming from his Jewish background, where God's law, the Old Testament, moral laws, the civil laws, the ceremonial laws, all of them were everything to him as a Jewish person. So this is what chapter seven is all about. Learning to view God's law the way God wants us to as believers. Now, quick review. Okay. Romans chapter one through three is all about really the condemnation of the sinner. Everyone is a sinner. We are all under God's wrath when we come into this world. Romans chapter 4 and 5 really bring in, then, the justification of a sinner. This miraculous righteousness, that when we believe in Christ, this miraculous righteousness is placed into our heart. And we now, onto our account, and we are now righteous enough to go to heaven. This is, a, this is salvation. This is an amazing thing that God does. Through Jesus Christ, through his blood. Now, then, Romans chapter 6 through 8, now talks about the sanctification of a sinner. You take this person who now has miraculous righteousness inside of them. They're headed to heaven when they die. But then now, how does God want them to live in this life? The sanctification or the making a sinner, making a Christian holy in his daily life. How does God work that? How does God do that? And that is a process that is done by God, but with our participation. And we're going to be talking about that. So we're in the middle of this section of the sanctification part. This is chapter 7. And here's what Paul has been teaching about sanctification so far in chapter six. It's good for us to review this real quick because it really leads up into chapter seven. Chapter six, Paul used the analogy of slavery. And he said, listen, everybody is a slave to sin at one point in their life. You are a slave to sin. You have to do what sin says. And everybody does sin. Jesus, then, in this analogy that Paul gives, is kind of like Jesus goes to the slave market where you are, and he buys you from sin with his blood. And so now you belong to Jesus. You have a brand new master. You are now Jesus' slave, as it were. And he says in chapter 6, you are now a slave to righteousness. So, in this, now we are a slave to Jesus, we belong to him. I am more free than I ever have been. I do not have to sin. I am not a slave. I'm not bound to do the things that my flesh wants to do. God, now what he's going to do in this uh, process, and he makes me so that I don't even want to sin. Or the flesh still wants to, but this new part of me that he puts inside of me doesn't want to sin. In fact, this is an amazing, miraculous thing. I now have something inside me that wants to obey God. In fact, I am miserable if I don't obey God. Have you ever noticed that? If you do not obey God and you start just living how you want to, pretty soon you're going to feel it pretty deep here. As a believer, it hurts worse than it ever did before you were a believer. In fact, somebody has said the most miserable person on earth is a Christian living in sin. The new birth, the salvation, came with this miraculous work of the Spirit. And this is part of the sanctification process, that God would actually prick our hearts. And the Holy Spirit is in there and says, don't do that. Don't do that. This is all part of it. Though we still feel a pull to sin, we'll talk about that more next week. We also have this new nature that wants to do righteousness. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, for it is God who worketh in you. Both to will, that is to want, and to do of his good pleasure. God is working in you to even have a wanter to do the right thing. So God does this and so much more when we put our trust in him. Now these are all spiritual truths I'm talking about. But God still wants our involvement in all of this. And so Paul explained that what we have to do is we have to take that spiritual truth that we are, that Christ has put this. New person in us. We are a new person in Christ. And I take that now and I put it into my daily life. How do I do that? Well, I yield my members, my hands, my feet, my mind, my mouth. I yield all of my body parts to the Lord as his instruments of righteousness. And then that's how I live every day, as, as an instrument of righteousness for the Lord. That's daily Christianity. It's a, day, it's, a, it's a walk of daily yielding and surrendering to the Lord. Now, that leads us up to Romans chapter 7. How to live this Christian life now in relation to God's law. We know all that that we just talked about. So now with God's moral law, what do we do? All the Old Testament commands, how does that fit? here's the main idea in this whole section of chapter 7. Listen closely. God's law is naturally good, but we are not. God's law is naturally good, but we are not. God uh, made the law. God wrote the law. It comes from his heart, it comes from who he is, and so it's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. But we are sinners, and we are the ones who have the problem. First he gives a perfect example here. Here we go. Romans chapter 7, look at verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now, notice here, this is to brethren, it says. So that's to the believers. And more specifically, then, he narrows it to those who know the law. Now, I think this is a very important detail, so I want to take a minute on this. It's an important detail for this whole chapter. A lot of what was about to be said can only be understood if you're a Christian who knows what we're talking about when we talk about the law. And really, the main audience for Paul at that moment is a Jew. ...who has become a Christian. That's the key audience here. You know the law. See, like Paul, there were believers in the church, in that first century church... ...who who had lived a law-first kind of mentality, just like Paul had. They thought that to be saved or to be made righteous, to get righteousness... I'm going to have to do the law. The only way I could make it to heaven is for me to do everything that the law says in the Old Testament. And Paul has already said so many times righteousness cannot come from the law. It has to come from this miraculous work of God that he does. That's justification. Now, let's go back in time for just a minute. All right. I think it helps to remember the two basic type of believers there in the church in the first century. First of all, you let, let's say you have the Gentile, this Roman Gentile person. He's, uh, let's name him Marcus, okay? We have Marcus here. He's sitting in the church, and he came from a life of paganism. Many gods, many superstitious rituals that he was into. He's never read one word of the Old Testament, the Jewish Old Testament. Not one word. It's a Jewish book to him. But he gets saved. He, he one day he puts his trust in Christ. He feels this new inner desire to leave those gods and walk in obedience to the one true God. It's a whole new life for him. Now, where is he going to go to learn how to live like a Christian, to live now for Jesus? Well, he's, he wants to know how to treat his neighbors, how to treat his wife, how to treat his children, how to treat the poor. How to treat people's property. Where where is he going to go to find out what God says about how to live in those ways? Well, he's going to go to the Old Testament. God's moral laws. The laws God gave us. He'll also listen to the apostles' teaching and doctrine, as it says there in the New Testament. But he'll eat it all up. He'll love it all because he wants to grow. He wants to do the right thing and he wants to know what God wants for him. He'll, he will learn to obey the moral law and he'll have to train out some of his old habits. Now think about this for just a minute. You can't tell a guy like Marcus who just has gotten saved and he wants to obey God, he wants to do the right thing, he wants to turn away from his old life. You can't just come to him and say, listen, here's the only thing God says. Jesus narrowed it down to just this, love God and love others, that's it. Now he used to think that lust was love. So if you just tell him just love, that's it. He used to think dancing around a fire naked was loving the gods. That's what he thought. So you can't just say love God and love others. You need to know what love looks like and how to love. And that is exactly what's found in God's moral law. In fact, it's in all of God's law. That's what Jesus meant by the statement when he narrowed everything down to love God and love others. He was summarizing all of the law. He was saying this is... If you could summarize all of it into two statements, here's what it is. But how are you going to love? Well, you need to go to the the actual law itself to find out how to do that. Love summarizes all that's in God's law. Now, the civil and ceremonial parts of the law, the sacrifices and the feast day. This Marcus. He would learn those are all part of a covenant that God made with the Jews. And that all, all of that pointed to Jesus as the fulfillment and even those are about loving God and loving others at the end of, uh, of, the, of the day. But he will understand that these are all good things, and, but they are, uh, they are not necessary for salvation. And that's the one thing he has to get into his head. All those are good things. All those are things God wants, but I cannot do those things to get to heaven. Now, then over here you have the Jewish believer Benjamin, all right? You got Marcus and you got Benjamin. Benjamin has a different starting point. Benjamin, he came from a life of trying to be saved by keeping the law, like Paul. He he tried to keep every single one, the hundreds and hundreds of them, the moral, the civil, the ceremonial. He grew up in a home trying to do everything. But now he accepted Christ, and now his life is all about Jesus and not about ritualism. And those things he learned now, when he looks in his past, he has to say, okay, those things were good things, all the... The moral things that I did, they were good, but I need to now learn how to obey God in a whole new spirit. Not as I'm trying to keep that so that I can get to heaven, but I am now in a whole new inner spirit now to keep those things, uh, knowing that I'm just following Jesus and I love Jesus and I want to do that because I love him. It might take some time to train out the old habits of trying to keep the law for salvation, He has to see the civil and the ceremonial laws as pointing to Jesus. He has to see the moral laws as God's holy standard. And this doesn't change. Um, But it cannot save him. And on some days, he might find it very difficult to lose that law-first mentality. He'll still be doing many of the same things that he used to do. um, But he will love obeying God now. He has a brand new heart. He'll love obeying God because he loves God. So if you're summarizing what he's where he's at, he needs to die to the old way of obedience and live to a brand new way of obedience. A similar look on the outside, but a different heart. And chapter seven is where Paul is, is helping everybody see that that's what he's talking about. He's correcting the way that we relate to God's law and especially those Jewish believers. Now the law still is there, it still exposes, it still convicts people. Sin, but it doesn't have the condemning power or dominion over the believer. Uh, when that person accepts Jesus Christ, it cannot send them to hell. It, also, it can't save you and it cannot condemn you to hell once you're a believer. Now, so here's what we could say in some summary of all that. Once we're Christians, we're not lawless and we're not law first. We, we could say maybe we are Jesus-focused, law-loving, Saints, Okay? I love how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 119, which is all about God's word and God's law even. Psalm 119 verse 32, here's what it says. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. I will run in the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. See, God changes our hearts and then we run after his commandments. It's a new desire in there just to obey God and follow God. And that's what we're talking about in Romans here. Now that I've set all this up, let's look at what God's word says. At the Rome, end of Romans 7.1, it says that the law has power over you as long as you're alive. That's just that's a simple fact of life. If you're alive, then whatever laws apply to you, you're under them. You're under their dominion. And if you break those laws, you will be condemned. Whatever the condemnation is, whatever the, uh, the judgment is, you're going to face it. Whether it's a law for a country or the region or it's even God's law, you're going to face that condemnation. But listen now, once you're dead and you're laying in your casket, those laws cannot condemn you anymore. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The power or the dominion of that law is broken on a dead person. Now, to help us understand that aspect of salvation, Paul's going to use another analogy here. It's, this time it's not an analogy of slavery, but marriage So pay attention to the details here. Verse two, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress. Though, they, though she be married to another man. So, okay, this is an example using God's law about marriage. By the way, Paul's not giving the full teaching on marriage here, so don't get distracted by that. Uh, the point here is all about salvation. We're not going to go into the depths of divorce and remarriage and things. The point here he's making is, if a woman marries another man while her husband is living, then the law condemns her. And it condemns her as an adulteress. But... If her husband is dead, then she can marry someone else and not be condemned. In other words, she's free from condemnation as an adulteress uh, at that point, she, once he's dead. The condemnation of the law has no more dominion over her. So we're talking about these verses. Remember, we have to keep in mind, we're talking about the condemnation of the law over a person that is, that is sending you to hell, uh, what, what Paul is going to relate here in just a moment. Now, we can all understand how this relates to marriage, but how does it apply to salvation? How does it apply to us? Verse four. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Okay, here's the general idea here. You are dead to the condemnation of the law when you were saved by Christ. Meaning the law can no longer send you to hell. Jesus has saved you, and so you are bound for heaven for sure. That's an amazing truth, and it's an amazing freeing truth. But as you focus in on these verses, I want you to notice something very closely. You have to pay attention because Paul wrote it this way on purpose. God wanted him to. In verses two and three, in this analogy, the husband dies, and then the the wife is free. But in verse 4, in the explanation of the analogy, the wife dies, not the husband. Ye also, it says, are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Here's the point Paul's making. We die, not the law. You are free from the condemnation of the law when you die. We died, to laws, we died to the law's condemnation when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. This happened, as it says here, by the body of Christ. And so Jesus' blood came, and, uh, and we are, were in Christ when he died, and therefore we died. But listen, the law itself is not dead. It's alive as ever. It's still doing what God wants it to do. It's revealing sin. But for the believer, it's lost its power to condemn them to hell. Now, since the old me then is dead, the new me now can be married to another. It can be married to Jesus and give him all my love and all my devotion for all that he's done for me. So you have to die first and then you can remarry. And that's who you marry. You marry Jesus. And this new union, as it says here in this verse, should bring forth fruit unto God. So this new union should be fruitful and multiply. God wants good things to be done with this new union with you and Jesus Christ. Uh, Good fruit would come out of your life. The people would be saved, that our lives would produce the things that God desires. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, as we know, talks about us being saved by grace unto good works. We're not saved by good works, by doing something good. We're saved by grace unto good works. Now, why is this so important? (laughs) because this is the way that God intended every Christian to live and to wake up every day from the inside out. He he intends everybody to live from from grace to good works and uh, not, I get grace because of my good works. See, we love Christ and we want to do everything that he says out of this heart connection that we have to him. He's done everything for me. He's He's, uh, he's broken the chains of sin. He's freed me from that slavery to sin. And now I can be united to him. I can be married to him. And so we wake up every day and we don't fret over whether or not we're going to be sent to hell. So many people wake up with this mindset of I might be sent to hell today or I might not be in God's family if I don't do all the right things. But that's not how God wants anybody to live. He wants them to wake up every day saying, I know I'm not going to hell. And I know the law can no longer condemn me there because Jesus died for me. So now I am fully with him. I am in a union with him. And I want nothing more than to obey him and follow him and do what he says and do whatever I can to serve him. And that's the way that God wants Christians to think and to live on, on, every, on a daily basis. It was much different before we were saved. Paul explains that now in the next verse. And this is where he talks about his powerful transformation from an appetite of rebellion to a passion for obedience. Verse five, look at this. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So here's what Paul's saying. When we were in the flesh, we were wicked. We were rebellious. I had a wicked and rebellious heart. I wanted to do everything against what God said. Now, let's think about this for just a minute. You take a person who is uh, living in the flesh and all those motions of sins or passions of sins are in him. Now, you hand somebody the law of God that that has that rebellious mindset. What are they going to do with the law of God? Well, they're going to do the exact opposite. It's because they have those motions working in them to want to do something Uh, that that God tells us not to do. If I say one famous statement here I'm about to make, I know that everybody will understand what I'm talking about. Here's the statement. Rules are made to be broken. That's our natural fleshly mentality. Rules are made to be broken. We are rebellious people by nature. In fact, if we read in the flesh, if we read a sign that says no trespassing, Well, in our mind, we're thinking, why? (laughs) Why no trespassing? They they must be trying to keep us from something that's really great on the other side of that fence. There must be something really fun over there that I want to go to. And that's how an unsafe person thinks when he gets God's law. God is trying to keep me from something good. He's trying to keep me from something enjoyable. And so because of my flesh, I just want to do the exact opposite that God says. But when we do that, as it says here, it brings forth a horrible fruit. It brings forth the fruit really of death in our lives. And that's the worst fruit, eternal death. And that is the condemnation of those sins. It just gets worse and worse and worse. We keep going down that road. We keep disobeying God and disobeying God and disobeying God. That's where we'll end up. Verse 6, but now we are delivered from the law. That being dead wherein we were held. That we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. So he basically says, listen, we died with Jesus. Because we died with Jesus, we are delivered from the law's power to condemn us to hell. And that is the, the main truth he's trying to get across here. So then he especially addresses the Jew and he's, that's turned to a Christian like himself. And he says, listen. I'm reminding you now that you should serve God in a whole new way. You now know that it is not by works that we're saved. It's not by doing the law. So the law now, in your mind, you have to understand it can no longer condemn you. You're a believer. So now how do you live? Well, you live in newness of spirit, not in oldness of letter. You're no longer going to obey the law because it gets you to heaven. You're going to obey it because the law comes from Jesus, who you love. That's why you're going to obey. It's a new spirit. It's a work of the spirit in you to begin obeying in a whole new way. This is so freeing, everybody. I gotta, you, we have to get our mindset to a place where we understand, God, thank you. You've taken care of the future. You've taken care of, of, uh, of our heavenly home. And so now I can live this whole time right now just walking with you in love. And, and that is what then motivates my obedience. That law-first mindset of obeying so you can go to heaven or so that God might accept you into his family, that's got to stop. You need to obey the Lord from the inside out in newness of spirit. It's the power of the spirit of God living inside. Now, we say all those things, and that's the heart that Paul wants everybody to have. Live in this way and obey in this way and follow in this way. Jesus has saved you, so love him back and give him your whole life. But as usual... There are some people who are going to want to take Paul's teaching and twist it into something that it's not. Like somehow that we should get rid of the law because it was the thing that was motivating my sinful heart to do all those wrong things. Listen, it's the, it's the, they're going to say, it's the law's fault. It's not my fault. The, if God would have never given the law, then, you know, I would have been fine. I just lived my life. So Paul now gives a profound explanation on this and that this is where it comes in very clearly. The law is perfect. And graciously reveal sin. But I'm not perfect. We are not. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So, is the law sinful because it motivated more sin in me? God gave me the law and I had this rebellious heart that said no trespassing and so I wanted to trespass. So that's the law's fault. Made me want to do it more. And he, Paul says, God forbid. It's not the law's fault. May it never be. No, look at how good of a teacher the law is. It helps me know when I'm sinning and to get back on course and to cry out to Jesus. The law is not bad. It's holy and perfect And it's a holy and perfect God who gave it and who wrote it. I am the bad one here in this equation. Now, real quick, this is so hard for us humans to to accept, especially for today's mind. In this culture that we live in right now, people are radically individualistic. Many Americans have started to get the idea that no one is bad on the inside. Nobody's really bad. You have your truth. I have my truth. It's okay. Anything you want to do, you should be able to do. And, um, and, and you should be able to do that without judgment. And we should be able to celebrate what you're doing. Now, um, and, and not even, even more than that, as a, as a society, we'll even come up with a name for these desires that you have. And we'll, we'll come up with a flag for it and call your lifestyle by a whole new, whole new thing. Now, even the laws of nature, if you notice, can't stop people from doing what they want to do. You want to be a boy, but you're a girl? Go for it. You want to be a girl, but you're a boy? Go for it. You can actually be both if you want to. Listen, uh, nobody's, nobody's a sinner anymore. And any law that tells me that I have to do something uh, uh, that I don't want to do is abusive. And it's also hateful. To tell me that I can't do such and such. Now listen, even Christians struggle with this and they struggle being told that they are doing something wrong. We struggle being told that even the choices we want to make are wrong according to God's laws. Paul says, listen very closely, the law is not sin. The law is not sin. We are the ones with the sin. God has not erased the moral law. God has not gotten rid of the moral law. It still points out sin. In fact, that's the very function of the law to reveal the sin in us. So Paul wouldn't have even known, he says, how bad I was unless God did not graciously give me the law to expose what was in my heart, that I didn't even realize how bad it was. He says, take lust, for example, now, lust is an interesting one, and in, in the Ten Commandments, it's one of those, it's the one commandment that's an inner sin, inward sin. It's not like killing or stealing or something like that. This is an inward sin. And God said, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house or thy neighbor's wife. Now, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm made aware now, because of what God has just said, that even a wrong inner desire is sin. I thought maybe just killing somebody would be sin, but oh, so you're even saying the things in my thought life could be sin, God? And that sin that's in me, that passion, that thing that I'm thinking about that I shouldn't be thinking about, that that lust, that coveting, that sin will eventually bring death in me. So now if I step back and I realize what God just did, by his law now, he graciously revealed to me that I need to go to Jesus and get this thing taken care of. This is a really bad situation because I have sin in me. The law can't save me. It can't remove that sin from me. But it can reveal that I have sin and then push me toward Jesus and say, you need to get this taken care of. And that is the gracious nature of God's law. But because I was unsaved and my heart was so bad. Here is what actually happened. That's what Paul's describing here. Here's what actually happened when the law came in. He's going to describe those inner feelings now. Verse eight, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. That's a big old English word for forbidden cravings. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And here's what he's saying here. Because I love sin so much, when I heard God's command about lust, instead of running from lust, I ran to it. That's how deep and how bad my heart was. It incited all these, new, these evil passions. It just made it worse. I saw the sign that said no trespassing and my evil flesh was incited to just go after it all the more. My sin was there all along. But I didn't know how full scale this sin was, how bad it really was. It, was. it was as if my sin was lying dormant. And if I felt alive in my sin. And that's what he's talking about. I felt, I felt alive in my sin. I was completely unaware that this sin was killing me. It was going to lead to death. But when I was confronted with the condemning power of the law of God... I realized how bad I could actually be and how far this sin was going to take me. And this sin disease was terminal. I was going to die. And that's what Paul explains now in a little more detail. Follow with me, verse 10. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be death for sin. Taking occasion or sin incentivized by the commandment deceived me. And by it slew me. Wherefore, verse 12, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. See, he says here the law is holy. It's just. It's good. It's perfect. In other words, because it was given by God. But what's the thing that wasn't perfect? It was sin in me. It was the flesh. My flesh was using the law in the wrong way and it was leading me to death. Verse 13 Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me that which is good, or by that which is good, that is the law, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin." Here's the point here, and this is where we're going to end this morning, but that is don't blame the law of God. It is not sin. I am the one who was and am the sinner. The law is not death. It just exposes that I am on my way to death. So there is Paul's answer to whether the law is bad. God's law is good, but my sinful nature is bad. The law is supposed to drive me to my knees and to where I say, Jesus, I need your help. I like what Charles Swindoll said about this passage. He said that he likened the law to an MRI machine. You know, not long ago, people, if you had cancer, you may not know till it was way too late uh, until those symptoms started showing up. Then somebody invented the MRI and this mar- marvelous machine uh, people can be put through and, and uh, you get a detailed image. And then somebody who's with a trained eye can point out where the cancer is. Now, if the MRI leads to a diagnosis of cancer, it would be foolish for the patient to uh, blame the machine for the illness. And that's what Paul is saying here. You, you Listen, you cannot blame the law. You cannot blame anything else. The, the law is the thing that's like the MRI machine. It's reading our hearts and it's showing it. And it, it's, it's exposing the terminal illness that we have. And that is sin. Don't blame something else. Know that I am sinful and I need Jesus. I need a savior. It's the law is God's diagnostic tool. So, as we end here, I say to this I say this to Amy Grant. I'm sorry, Amy, but God's moral laws on who we marry are still valid. They're still as valid as they ever have been, and God's law is not dead. There's nothing wrong with his law. Sin is still sin. In fact, as a Christian, You should be wanting all the more from the depths of your heart to obey everything that God has said. Yes, we need to love people. Absolutely, wholeheartedly love people, but never at the expense of God's morality. And for those who think that obedience to the law here this morning, will might get them to heaven or keep you in God's family. I hope you realize that the Christians are dead. As a believer, we are dead to the condemnation of the law. And you, we now can serve in a whole new spirit, a whole new way. We're on our way to heaven. So love Jesus, give your whole heart to him, surrender to him. And that's how Jesus wants us to live. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you everybody for, uh, for listening. I, that's a deep uh, passage. And thank you for hanging in there. But it's so powerful. Lord, we love you this morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.